the way, uh, my name's Pastor Zach. Uh, my wife, Jenna, and I, with 36 other people, man, we had the opportunity to plant Multiply Church about five and a half years ago here in Lake Norman. And, and we did it for, for this, pers- this purpose. We truly believe that this can be a place where people can find life, freedom, family, and purpose. And that's kind of the pillars that we go by. But what does that even mean? Finding life means finding new life in Christ. We believe that the most important decision that everyone could, anyone could ever make in their entire life is to step into that relationship with Jesus. So finding life and then finding freedom, what is that all about? It's about taking care of yesterday before you can look forward to tomorrow. So life, freedom, and then family. We believe that church isn't just about Sunday morning, but it's about Monday through Saturday as well, and and truly walking alongside of individuals through the high seasons of life and and through the low seasons of life. And then we get to purpose. And we believe that every person in this room has been uniquely created with a divine design, that you've been created for, for you to do something spectacular for the kingdom of God the only way that you can and nobody else can. So that's why we do this thing called church. That's why we even set it up. Today, we have something a little unique going on after service. We have what we call our family days. And the reason we do those is because we don't want you to sprint out right after service. We want you to kind of mingle with each other and and truly get to know each other. Now, I know I say it every week, like, hey, turn and greet two or three people and, and shake their hand. But the problem with church is oftentimes we come and sit in a seat and we say, hey, good morning, without even getting to know the person to our right or to our left. And and so that's why we do these family days, just to kind of get to know each other a a little bit more. Hey, one other thing that I want to tell you guys that we're kind of stepping into starting next week, we're stepping into our new series called Home. And we're going to take a biblical look at a few different things, but the first thing that we're going to take a look at is biblical marriages. What does it look like to be in a relationship with someone else from a biblical perspective? What does it look like to raise kids biblically? If you're like me, I got a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and I'm thinking, dear Lord, I need some help. Anybody else there? Some of y'all got some 19-year-olds and, and 34-year-olds, and y'all are still saying, good Lord, I need, I need some help. But what does it look like to be a young adult in today's culture and society? Hey, what, what does it look like to be a biblical father in today's society, to be a biblical mother in today's society? So that's something that we're going to lean into. So if you're looking for a church home, man, come hang out with us. So... Here we go. We'll dive into Easter Sunday. I know that's what you're here for. But two days ago, we had our Good Friday service. If you were in our Good Friday service, can you make a little noise for me? Raise your hand. That's what I'm talking about. Man, we, we had a good time. By the way, uh, maybe you've never been to church or maybe you haven't been uh, in a long time. We're a little different. I'm going to be uniquely myself, all right? So what that means is I need you to communicate with me. So they just did a good job. So if you were here this past Friday, make a little bit of noise. There we go. Okay. It just, it, just, it kind of gets me settled in. All right. I need, I need some feedback. But, but man, we dug into the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. And every time I hear these sayings preached or every time that I'm involved in a service or attend a service, where the seven sayings of Jesus are are preached about, man, it absolutely hits me to my core. And and I know it's Easter Sunday, but I want to, just for a second, I want to take a look back of what we talked about this past Friday. I want to remind us of a few things that happened. I want to remind us that there was this whip that had shards of 
metal and glass and bone tethered between each lace. And every time it hit the back of Jesus, it ripped flesh away. Every time it caught the back of his leg, it ripped flesh away. This isn't some made-up story. It's not something that we just tell to get people to follow Christianity. No, this is some real story. Jesus was a real person. He absolutely wore a crown of thorns that was shoved on his head so deep that blood began to flow down his brow. Can I remind you that this man named Jesus truly hung on the cross? He was suspended in the air. Now, Friday, the entire service seemed like a funeral until it didn't. And then when we got to the end, man, we partied a little bit. And we made some noise because we knew that though it was Good Friday, though it was dark, we knew Sunday was coming. We knew today was coming. So we celebrated and we partied. And, and every year I get excited to preach Easter Sunday, even though I know how the story ends. But this is how we can read scripture sometimes. So tonight we're diving in right where we left off. Last week was awesome. Yeah. We're in Matthew 26, which begins what we all know, Jesus's betrayal and ultimately his death. Um, wait, hold on, what? Jesus dies. Jesus dies? We've been talking about this for 2,000 years now. Wait, like the Jesus, like, like this Jesus, like my favorite character, Jesus, this guy dies. How does he die? Pretty common knowledge. Well, it's not common knowledge for me. I just started season two. Season two, is he, is he talking about the New Testament? Well, how does, he, how does he die? Who betrays him? Who would betray him? It was one of his disciples. Don't tell me it was Judas. It was Judas. 30 silver coins. Well, he comes back to life. He comes back to life? Oh my gosh. Let's not take his name in vain. This book is nuts. This is an emotional roller coaster, man. This is better than Jack Reacher. Have you ever read Jack Reacher? It's really good. It's not like you should check it out. It's really good. I'm ready, man. Okay, Matthew. I have an unspoken for later on as well, but that's not important. All right, Matthew 26, everyone. Um, like I said, <clears throat> Jesus is just about to die. So if you've ever if you've ever read the Bible, it, it can seem that way sometimes. Like we know how the story ends, but let me kind of give you some cliff notes. There was the story of creation in the book of Genesis, where God spoke and the universe was formed. And then we continue to read about the sin of humanity and Adam and Eve and how it was passed down from generation to generation. And then in the Old Testament, we read about God's wrath and, and God's judgment. But when we get to the New Testament, we learn that Jesus came to satisfy the wrath of God. Now, again, today I'm going to give you some cliff notes throughout Scripture. By a show of hands, um, <laughs> you're going to tell on yourself for a second. Who used cliff notes to get through school? Thank you. Everyone else is lying. We know you read some cliff notes. But I, I absolutely read cliff notes to get through school. But, but here's the deal with cliff notes. It will give you the big picture. It doesn't give you the fullness of the story. So make sure after today, this, today isn't the only time that you dive into scripture. Don't just take the cliff notes because there's more stories woven throughout. But I also know that as I read the Bible, there's good news and there's bad news. And if you're anything like me, I want all the good news 
Nope, that's not true. I want all the bad news up front. Anybody else, you want all the bad news up front, and then you want the good news. Where's my people that want like a little bit of bad news, and then give me a little bit of good news to make me feel good, and then some more bad news? Is anybody like that? Nobody. We're all on this. You are. JB, you want a little bit of bad news, a little bit of good news? He's the only one in the room. Every, you do too? Okay, how come when one person raises their hands like popcorn, it's like, okay, yeah, that's me now. Okay, so let's do it for real. If you want all the bad news up front, give me a show of hands. All right? If you want a little bit of good news, a little bit of bad news, and a little bit of good news, bad news, show of hands. All right, well, y'all are going to be mad because I'm giving you all of the bad news up front, and then I'm going to give you some good news. The bad news is, I'm sorry we didn't tell you guys this, but we, we did it anyway. Uh, we did a blood test on everyone in the room, and your blood work came back. And what we know is this, everyone in the room has a blood disease. Now, when you think of having a blood disease, oftentimes what we hear is it's a rare blood disease, but contrary to popular belief, this is actually the most common blood disease known to man. Everyone that's ever been born except for one person have this blood disease. Everyone that will ever be born will have this blood disease, and this blood disease is ultimately called sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 reads like this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Of God. Now, again, I told you we were going to be a little act, interactive today, so I need your help, all right? The first person that I want you to look at, the person you came with or a significant other or someone that you know, I want you to look them in the eye, and I want you to say, you're a sinner. <laughs> Hold up. Some of y'all have been holding that one in. Some of y'all said that with a smile on your face. Like you've been waiting to, t- like husbands and wives, hey, guess what, babe? I got to tell you something. Y'all been, y'all been holding that one. You've been holding that one in. Now, the other person that was receiving that, you're like, I don't even know the person sitting beside me. Why did they tell me? Why did they tell me I was in a weird church? I'm not coming back. Telling me I'm a sinner. And maybe, you're, maybe you're sitting in your seat and you're thinking, man, you don't know me. You don't know my story. I've got good morals and I've got good values. Yes, I've been through some stuff, but I'm, I'm a better person. Now, the critical flaw of humanity is that we can think more highly of ourselves than we actually are. So again, I'm going to give you some more cliff notes from the Bible. The Bible gives us these 10 commandments. Now I'm going to read these 10 commandments. And if you've kept every commandment after I read them, I know there's going to be a couple in the room. So after I read the 10 commandments, if you've kept every commandment your entire life, I want you to come on stage. We're going to give you a round of applause and we're going to let you speak the rest of the message because we want to learn from you. All right. We, we truly want to hear your story and how you did it. So let me read The first one, you shall have no other gods before me. And what does that mean if you've never put anything else before God in your life? Again, I know there's a few of you in the room, but you've kept this commandment. That means you've never put yourself in front of God. You've never put your job or your career in front of God. You've never put money or sports or your family or anything else in front of God. That's absolutely you. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an image of any form or anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or below in its water. So if you've never made an image to worship other than God, hey, that would be you. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Number four, and we'll go through these quick. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That means every single week without fail, you set aside a time or a day during the week that you just spend time with God. And maybe you're with your family, but, but you don't answer the phone. You don't 
type that email from work that you, that you said you were going to wait till, until Monday to respond and said you, you know, answered it on a Saturday. You've never done anything like that. Here's an easy one. I know many of you in the room follow this one. Honor your father and your mother. That means if you're in the room, you've never talked back. You've never slammed a door. And anytime your parents said no, you looked at them and you said, you know what? You are absolutely right and you know what's best for me. That's an easy one to follow. Number six. (laughs) I got to tell you what happened during first service. I said, number six. There was a lady sitting right there. She says, I'm out. (laughs) Before, (laughs) Before I mentioned what number, I think she was talking about the father and the mother. But number six is this. You shall not murder. Immediately, people started looking at her like, what in the world? I told her, I looked at her dinner eyes. I said, I don't want to get to know you unless you've already done your time. If you've done your time, we can, we can hang out. If you haven't been caught yet, don't want to hang out. Guilty by association, right? But you shall not murder. Some of us are thinking, I got that one. I've never killed anybody. But Jesus says, if you've ever been angry with someone, then you've broken this one. That means, wives, you've never been angry with your husband when he asks you where his keys is again and again. And again, now before you laugh, that means husbands, you've never been mad at your wife for not being able to pick where to eat after church. (laughs) What about the next one? You shall not commit adultery. That's the same thing as the last one. Jesus says, if you look at another person lustfully, then you're actually guilty of this one. Number eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not lie. Number 10, you shall not covet. Now, again, I told you there's going to be a couple people in the room. So can we give those individuals a round of applause? Let's have you come up to the front. Don't be modest. Y'all can, nobody. Dylan, you're a good dude. Claire, you're like a saint. Babe, you're perfect in my eyes. Do you want to come up and, sh- no? Manny? No, J- no, never mind, not JB. <laughs> it's JB's first time ever at this church. I'm just going to call him out. Matt, what about Mackenzie? She's your angel. She's your little girl. 50 50. Calling her out. Chaz, nobody? Nobody. So you mean to tell me that all y'all got dressed up pretty on Sunday and none of y'all can keep the commandments? So we're a bunch of nice dressed sinners. Y'all are sinners. (laughs) No, I'm just, I should probably be back at the back somewhere on the back wall, all the sins that I've committed. Okay, so if we can't keep the commandments, I don't know, in school, this got me through talking about cliff notes, keeping with the theme of school. Um, Did anyone have a teacher that graded on a curve? Yeah. I need to publicly apologize. I I was the student that brought the curve down, and I want to publicly say thank you to all of those who brought my grades up. But let's grade this sin thing on a curve. There was a bad dude. His name was Hitler, so we'll put Hitler at the bottom, all right? So Hitler's down here somewhere. And we'll put like Billy Graham and Mother Teresa at the top, all right? So if we grade it on this curve, you can kind of imagine where you think you would fall on this curve. But the Bible says that if you've broken one commandment, then you're actually guilty of breaking all of them. So according to Scripture, then Billy Graham and Mother Teresa, man, they're sinners and Even by their good works that they did throughout their life, it's not good enough to get them into heaven. So we've determined a a few things. We've determined that that we're no good. All of us are no good at keeping the Ten Commandments. 
We're no good at following everything perfectly. We've also determined that we're no good at grading on a curve because a curve doesn't work. And, and some of us in this room, our mind might flip and we might say something like, well, well, what if, what if I just confine my sin? What if I just segment my sin? I'll, I'll learn to live with it. And it won't affect anybody else. It'll just affect me. I, I'll learn to live with it. So instead of trying to have pain management, what we have is sin management. And I'm just going to manage the areas of my life that I struggle. And I'll, I'll take care of that area in my life when I have time to. I'll take care of that area in my life when nobody else is looking. I can act like this person with this group, and I'll act like that person with, with that group. But you know what? I'll still, I'll still go to church on Sunday every, every now and then, maybe once a month, maybe once every six weeks you know what, I, I get busy sometimes. As long as I hit Easter and Christmas, I'm good to go, right? I'll just, I'll just manage everything in between. The problem with that is we've already determined it's a blood disease. It affects every area of your life. It's not like your gallbladder. Has anybody in here had their gallbladder removed? A couple of you, like top 20 questions I'm asking God, what's the purpose of a gallbladder? Because it can be removed and you're good to go. Like, what's, what's the purpose of it? But if you know anything about a blood disease, again, it reaches every area of your body. Just like sin reaches every area of our lives. Sin affects every part of your life and it's actually carried throughout. Sin affects your friendships. Sin affects your emotions. Sin affects your mindset and your mental capacity, your mental health. Sin affects your body. Sin affects your marriage. Sin affects your kids. Sin affects your job. It affects absolutely everything. It's kind of like having a rotten orange. If you've ever like bought the bag from, the purchased the bag from the grocery store, you get it home, you open it up, you start going through it, and there's like that one orange in the bottom of the bag that just looks nasty. It's got like a little rotten spot on it. You don't say that you have a good orange with a rotten spot and remove it. What do you do? You throw the orange away. Now, popular, contrary to popular belief, it's kind of like bananas. You know where I'm going, Matt. You know where I'm going. Listen, if bananas, if, if your bananas at your house have a brown spot on it, two options, banana bread, trash can. If you eat bananas with brown spots on it, that's basically like not following the Ten Commandments. I think that was like subheading, like point number 11. But I think God just thought like maybe they will figure it out. It's brown. It's going bad. Don't eat it. Raise your hand if you eat bananas with brown spots. Your weird will pray for your soul. Jake, put it in a smoothie. That's like kind of acceptable. Okay, by a show of hands in the room, who needs like a little bit of green left on the banana to eat it? That's me. I like that thing to snap when I open it. If it's like peeling apart, ugh, throw it away. It affects the entire batch. By, by the way, I don't know if I've mentioned this or not, but in case, in case I didn't, um, this blood disease that we all have is absolutely fatal. This blood disease that we have, it, there's one outcome, and that outcome is death. By the way, we're all going to die. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The weight of our sin, the weight of not following those commandments, 
It's death. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And maybe you're in the room, you're thinking, man, how in the world did I get this blood disease? Simple answer, it's hereditary. You got it from your parents, and they got it from their parents, and they got it from theirs, and they got it from theirs, and we can trace it all the way back to its origination. And the Bible tells us, Cliff Notes, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they both ate of this fruit that God told them not to eat from. And throughout reading scripture, this is what I've come to find out. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. But again, we all have this fatal blood disease. We were absolutely born with it. Say, Zach, how can you prove that? It's because I've seen your kids. (laughs) And you've seen mine. (laughs) You've seen my kids in the lobby when they don't have a nap. You you see my kids in the lobby when they don't have a snack. By the way, did you ever have to teach your kids to be selfish? Parents in the room. Did you teach your kids to be selfish? No, they were just kind of born with it, right? They started acting like the seagulls from Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 like everything is theirs. Right? You didn't have to teach your kids that. It's our innate nature, but it's hereditary. It's something that we just received from generation to generation. I I also know that many of you are going to go to the photo booth, and you're going to take the pretty pictures And you're going to post the one perfect picture where everyone is smiling. Everyone is happy. And you're going to have some cool caption like, Happy Easter, he is risen, he's risen indeed. Like, you're going to put some caption at the bottom of that, right? What about the 41 pictures that you deleted? Because you were yelling at your kids, someone wasn't smiling, you spilled something on your clothes before you left the house. Like, we want to put the good stuff in front of everyone, right? Right? We all have this stuff in the background that we don't want anyone to see. We all have these things that are internal that, man, we feel like if people found out about us, they would never treat us the same. They would judge us for all the sin that we committed. So I'm going to try to pack it in and pack it down. I don't want anyone to see it. Again, more cliff notes. Let's let's think about this. If this disease is a blood disease and it's hereditary and Adam and Eve kind of started the whole thing, then we have to go all the way back to Adam and Eve to undo it, right? So, so unless you know Doc from Back to the Future, we're kind of up the creek without a paddle. There's nothing we can do to go all the way back. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says, In fact, the law requires that everything be cleansed with blood, and without shedding of the blood there is no forgiveness. So what does God do? God looks at humanity and he realizes that no one on earth can carry this type of weight. That everyone that has ever been born has fallen short. That everyone had sinned. And God says, man, I I need someone who's never sinned. I I need that person to die. But more cliff notes, God says that person can't just die. It might be sinless blood, but it's not a cure until it defeats the very thing that's the end result. And again, I've already told you what the end result is. The end result is death itself. So God says, I need that person to be resurrected from the dead and to make that blood available. So again, a lot, a lot of bad news up front. Y'all ready for like a little bit of good news? Let, let me give you some good news. The good news is this. The good news is there's absolutely a cure. The good news is that there is a blood transfusion that we can 
receive. Now, the devil and the world will tell you that 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 blood transfusion will happen by good works, good vibes, and good energy. I don't know if you've heard this language lately, but the world will say something like this. As long as you manifest it, it'll eventually come. You just keep manifesting, and it'll eventually come to pass. But, But what does the Bible say? The world will tell you that karma will eventually work things out to focus on what you want to focus on, to get what you want, when you want it, how you want it. As long as it makes you feel good, then you do that. But what I know to be true and what I read scripture, read in Scripture is this. Jesus is the only universal donor. He's the only one that can satisfy your soul. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 reads like this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, for everyone in the room, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The cure is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. So what do we need a blood transfusion for? It's for all the lying, it's for all the cheating, all the stealing, all the doubt, all the gluttony, all the drunkenness, all the sexual sin, all the anger, all the greed, all the envy, the list goes on and on and on. But this is, this is what I'm coming to find out more and more. The problem with all of this stuff is that we, we can identify sin, we can identify that there's a cure. The problem is too many people walking, walk around thinking something along these lines. Yeah, I hear you, Zach, but... But that blood can't be good enough for me. The act that Jesus displayed on the cross can't be good enough for my life. It can't be good enough for my... There's some junk in my life that you don't know about. There's some things that I've done that I've hidden in the caverns of my soul. And if you're like me, I'm like, Hey God, are you sure? (laughs) Because you know about... And you know when I... And you know how I, and you know when I did, like, are you, are you sure? Blood's got to be strong, boy. And then we we go on to think something like this, well, well, maybe it's enough to save me, but I, I don't think it's enough to carry me through my life. Listen, if Christ's blood is enough to save you, then his blood has to be enough to sustain you. If it's not enough to sustain you, then it was never strong enough to save you. And the way that I read my Bible, the way that I read scripture, is that the blood that was shed on the cross covers every sin that I've ever committed and every sin that I will ever commit. Regardless of what culture and society and people try to tell me. God, are you you sure? I think if we're honest with ourselves, if I, I'm not going to ask you to, but if I ask you, hey, slip up your hand if you've, if you've ever had the thought, like, God are, you, God, are you sure? I'm sure hands would go up all over the room. God, are you sure that that's good enough for me? I have a buddy. Jake, we have a buddy. His name's Curtis. I know they're watching online right now. And when I invited, a Curtis, when I invited Curtis to church a little over a year ago, his response was this. Zach, if I walk through the doors, the place might burn down. That joker's here about every week, and the place is still standing. But you might have had that thought before. If I, if I go to church, the place is going to burn down. Can I tell you that you're not as big and bad as you think you are? 
that your sin isn't as great as you think that it is. That Christ's blood is enough to save you. It's enough to sustain you. It's enough to cover every single sin that you will commit and every single sin that you have committed. It's not just some flowery language that we read in this thing called the Bible. It's an act that Jesus displayed on the cross so that we could step into a relationship with him. We're really good at categorizing things. We we like to categorize people's sin. We'll read that list of Ten Commandments and we'll say things like, well, at least I haven't done that one. At least I haven't done this one. I mean, I know there's some people in the room, they've done that. I haven't done that, so I must be better than that. And we begin to categorize and put sin in a box. And Scripture is very clear that sin is equivalent to all of us. Regardless of the sin that you've committed, it's affected every single area of your life. Why? Because it's a blood disease. It's not something you can segment or separate. It's not something we can grade on a curve. We've already identified that all of us sin. But we're really good at categorizing. We even categorize blood types. You got A and then B and then AB. And then we jump to O for some reason. And then we got the positive and the negative. Like, that's weird. Like who categorized blood? Why don't you go like A, B, C, D, E? That would have been a lot easier. Just name it one, two, three, four, five. We like to categorize things. But Jesus alone is our universal donor. He was born in a manger. He lived a perfect life. He walked around on this earth. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was broken. He carried a cross to Golgotha, top of this hill. I mentioned this this past Friday. I said, could you imagine the scene Jesus finally gets to where they're crucifying Jesus and the two other guys. And I imagine that the two other guys are like fighting and clawing for their life. The the guards, the soldiers are throwing them down. They're pulling at each limb, nailing their hands, nailing their feet. They're crying out, fighting just to get away. And then when Jesus arrives on the scene, he drops his cross. And I imagine that he just willingly lays down. And I imagine that the guards are kind of dumbfounded. Jesus isn't fighting back. He's not trying to flee. He's not trying to get away. They're not having to pull at his arm. In fact, what he does, he says, here you go. He lays it down. As they begin to hammer his hand, he just reaches out the other one. And right before that hammer hits the nail for the last time, he's already putting his feet in place. He's not kicking. He's not screaming. He's not trying to get away but he's willingly giving of himself to carry the weight of the world, to carry the sin of the world. (laughs) By the way, the end of season two from the video, I don't know if you've got there yet. Spoiler alert, he's coming back. I want to end by reading this story. There's a book called Written in Blood by Robert Coleman, and he tells this story about a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. And the doctor explained that she had the same disease that the boy had recovered from just two years earlier. And her only chance for recovery and survival was a transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the disease. And since the two kids had the same rare blood type, her brother was the ideal donor. So the doctor looks at Johnny and he says, hey, Johnny, 
would you give your blood for Mary? The story goes like this. Johnny hesitated. His lower lip kind of started to tremble. And then he looked back at the doctor. He smiled. He said, for my sister, and for my sister I will. And soon the two kids were wheeled back into the hospital room. Mary was pale and thin. Johnny was robust and and healthy. But neither one spoke to each other. But when their eyes met, Johnny smiled and he grinned just a little bit. But as the nurse inserted the needle into his arm, Johnny's smile began to fade. With every passing second, with every passing minute, he watched the blood flow from his arm through the tube and back in to Mary's arm. Towards the end of the transfusion, Johnny looks at the doctor when he walked in the room and he says, Doctor, when do I die? Only then did the doctor realize why Johnny had hesitated originally, why his lips trembled and why he got a little sad when he agreed to donate the blood. He thought that giving his blood to his sister meant he had to give away his own life. In that brief moment, and Johnny made a decision. Fortunately for Johnny, he didn't have to die to save his sister, but each of us, however, has a condition more serious than Mary's. And it required Jesus to not just give his blood, but to give his life. If you haven't heard any statement that I've made today or you don't remember any story that I say today, remember this. I don't care how far away you feel like you've strayed from God. Jesus came and died for you anyway. I don't care what sin you've committed in your life. Jesus came and he died for you anyway. We can get really good. We can get really good at being stoic. We can get really good at finding a a seat at church and going, I'm just going to come in, I'm going to check the boxes, I'm going to feel good. And, and if I'm honest with you, a lot of times the reason I come off stage is because I have to remind myself of the same thing. I don't just stand up there with a microphone trying to put it together like, oh, I'm per-. No, your boy needs help. I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace and grace alone. But we, we have to remember that regardless of how far we feel like we've strayed from God, Jesus came and died for you anyway. If I had the time, I'd go person by person, row by row. I'd say, Zach, Jesus came and died for you anyway. Anna, Jesus came and died for you anyway. I would go person by person just to remind you that Jesus loves you and he came and died for you anyway. But again, we get really good at standing on the corner and saying, God, are you sure? Are you sure it's good enough for me? Again, you don't, you don't know what I've gone through. Are you positive? Again, if you haven't heard anything that I've said this entire message, could I remind you that regardless of how far you feel like you've strayed, regardless of the sin that you've committed, Jesus came and died for you anyway. Zach, why are you repeating that over and over and over again? Because some of you are thick-headed. I'm one of those people. We can't get out of the way of our own minds. We can't get out of the way of our own thoughts. Jesus loves you and he came and died for you anyway. That's the message of Easter. 
Newsflash, that's the message of every single Sunday. We preach the same thing over and over and over again. We just package it differently every week. Jesus loves you, and he came and died for you anyway. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe for the first time in your entire life, man, that resonated with you on a different level. I don't care, again, the sin that you committed. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. But, there's a but, the gift of God is eternal life. And that gift is him sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. The Bible, giving you some more cliff notes, the Bible also says that if you believe in your heart and profess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, that you step into a relationship with him. Here at Multiply Church, we believe that the most important decision you could ever make in your entire life is to step into that relationship with Jesus. On the count of three, I mean, if that's you, you want to step into that relationship with Jesus, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward or up front. We're just going to say a prayer collectively together. So if that's you on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. Ready? One, two, three. All across this room. If that's you. Saw a couple hands go up and go right back down. And then if we could say this prayer collectively together, could we say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live wide awake to your love and fully alive to my purpose. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen.